Our scripture reading today is Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 9 through 18, if you have your Bibles with you. And our message today is entitled, Appointed Leadership. This is the Lord's word. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. This is Moses speaking. The Lord, the Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make, a, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised all of you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I'll appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time. Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is within him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for your judgment is God's. In a case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Amen. For the year 2018, at least for these first three months or so, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the, is the fifth book in the Old Testament, the and it's what the Jewish people would call the, the Torah. Now, when we hear the word Deuteronomy, we think, well, this is a book about lots of laws of, about clean animals and dirty animals, what we should eat, what we should not eat. And, and for many of us, when we go through Deuteronomy, we think, this is just a lot of detail about regulations in the life of Israel. But Deuteronomy is more than just a book about the Ten Commandments and its applications. In fact, in the Hebrew language, and for the Jews themselves, they don't call this book Deuteronomy. In fact, if you were to have a Hebrew Bible in hand and try to look at the table of contents and try to find the words Deuteronomy, you wouldn't find it. In fact, each of the books, you wouldn't find it. The book of Genesis is not called Genesis. The book of Genesis is simply called In the Beginning. For the way that the Hebrews looked at the, the book, it wasn't simply trying to find one theme and give a title to it. Simply the first four, first phrase of each book was the name. Now, if I were told you, if I were to tell you that the name of this book is not Deuteronomy, but simply these are the words or we can expand that a little bit more, these are the words of Moses. The impact is different. 
what God is trying to show us through Deuteronomy is that these, these are Moses' last words to the Israelites before they crossed the Jordan to take the land that God had promised. This is God gathering the tribes together. When the old generation had passed away after 40 years of wandering, and their punishment, the old generation, was not to cross into the promised land. This new generation is there, set and ready, hearing stories about God's faithfulness, hearing stories, perhaps many of them, about the crossing of the Red Sea, but still unaware of the complete blessings that God has given, just stories. And here they are on the precipice of claiming what God had promised her forefathers. And Moses himself is told that he would not cross over. At the end of Deuteronomy, we know that at Mount Nebo, he, he's given the blessing to at least look upon the promised land. But God said, you will come with me. You will die here. Be with me in heaven. And Joshua will take him. And so Moses, in a sense, this is sort of a, a deathbed confession. A final plea to the people of Israel. This is an illicitly a list of do's and don'ts. This is a man who's seen, well, not the face of God. He wanted to see the face of God, but at the very least the back of God who received the Ten Commandments from him, heard his voice. And his plea, his desire, is that the people get ready to cross. Has a different weight, right? Has a different feeling. I would rather call this book, these are the words of Moses rather than Deuteronomy in many ways. And this book, Deuteronomy, basically sort of encapsulates everything from Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Torah, the law. And this is what Moses, I mean, Jesus always appeals to when he says, this is the law and the prophets, the law of the first five books in the Bible. But if you understand Deuteronomy well, and I touched on this last week, you will understand Joshua all the way to the end of the Old Testament. Because everything revolves around Deuteronomy. So the more that we as God's people understand Moses' last words and how he reflects backwards in terms of what God has done and reflects forward into God's fulfilling promises by taking the land of Israel and all the things that happened uh, within that, the more we'll appreciate what God is doing in the Hebrew scriptures. And lastly, more we'd appreciate and enjoy the greatness and the bigness of Christ's love for us. This is next week's sermon, but it's what, what the Old Testament does for us basically is it shows us how God has forborn bared our sins. 
that if we were to look at all the history of the Old Testament, we would see failure mixed with just glimpses of God's grace. And even in our own lives, when we see failure, the great thing for us is we don't see glimpses of God's grace, but in Christ Jesus, we see all of God's grace. So here we are. Moses is gathering them all together, and he's ready. For you, I want you to take the posture of people getting ready to fight a spiritual battle. I want you to take the posture of someone who's ready to go out into the world to, to, to fight for God and his kingdom. And I want us to try to take lessons from Deuteronomy, of course, not as Old Testament people, but as people who have been saved through Christ Jesus. And I hope that through this series that all of you, many of you, will get to see the immensity of God's love for us. Now, this is interesting. After, after Moses sort of introduces a brief history in one, chapter 1, 1 through 8 of the fact that they, they were in the wilderness for a while. They were going all over the place, and they were waiting for the old generation to die. The generation had come out of Egypt. They all passed away. They're getting ready to cross over. The first thing that Moses does as he organizes them. And this always puzzled me. Why is it that the first thing that Moses does before he crosses over, organize his people? Now, because we're PCA, you know, people often say it's because he was a good Presbyterian. Now, we want organization. We want our committees, subcommittees. Uh, if you don't know much about Presbyterianism, um, you will begin to learn because... Even our church, even with our, the size of our church, we have committees. <laughs> and we'll have subcommittees eventually as well. But what I see here in this passage is not so much God or Moses trying to organize people as an army. We don't see Moses dividing these people up into tribes and, and divisions and companies and squads to sort of go and get ready to take over the promised land. This isn't a military organization that God has put together. It may look like it. You know, he said, listen, give me commanders or heads over you, commanders of thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens, officers throughout the tribes. It, it seems like, like a very militaristic way to organize your people in a very good way in, in many ways. But Moses' concern was not so much of how we would take the land and what resources God has given us to go and to fight. But his concern was over the purity and the sanctity of his people. If you want to put it in militaristic terms, he was concerned about the morale. He wanted to make sure that all of the people were in line 
obeying and loving the Lord and serving the Lord. He wanted to make sure that any disputes that came between people were settled in a way that was just before God and just before one another as well. Now you may think this is a strange thing to hear. Here we are, ready to take this land. We've already gone through many battles on the other side of the Jordan. Moses, shouldn't you be getting us ready to fight? But there's something that God's people had learned during their time in the desert. And there's something they've learned during their time in their history. And that is this. I want you to hear this. It's not God's people who goes to war. It is God who goes to war. The most beautiful picture that we see of this in the Old Testament is when the Israelites were crossing the Red Sea. And as they were crossing the Red Sea, we remember that there's a pillar of fire before um, and, and, um, to light the, the night and, and the pillar during the day. And the way that the, the Moses describes these people who have just left Israel in a hurry with just their clothes and just sort of grabbing carts and their belongings and their, their kids behind them. It's the way he describes it, that this is, this is God's army. You look and you go, what do you mean this is God's army? What's beautiful about what God does is that his army isn't so much made up of the people who are there. His army is simply God himself who leads and protects. That pillar of fire before is the vanguard. It's what goes forward. That pillar that protected them until, until, uh, until everyone was crossed was, was, was the rear guard protecting the back. And as they went through the Red Sea, the army of Israel triumphed when, when the waters came over them. Moses wants to encourage you to give you the knowledge that wherever you are in your life and your walk with the Lord, primarily it's not your fight. It's God's fight. You are a soldier, not because of anything that you have done, but you're a soldier because of Christ's love for you. That you're fighting a battle that has already been won. We as Christians, we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he went to battle on the cross. That he defeated sin and death. 
He defeated all the, the weapons or the tools that, that Satan had to, to defeat us or to discourage us. And that our job is not to fight that. Sin no longer has power over us. But our job is simply, as God is commanding here, to love one another. To appoint people who could point people back to the laws of God. To settle disputes and arguments. To be able to help them to see that God's justice and rule and presence is still here. Why do I say this? You need to fight the right battles. And you need to understand that the battle you're fighting is not the battle that Christ has already won. The battle that you are fighting is you are simply cleaning up after what God has already done. Sinclair Ferguson, he's a Scottish preacher. Um, for some of you who were at our previous location, we did a, a Bible study series through the Holy Spirit. Some of you loved his accent. Some of you were like, oh, this is way over my head. But he loved to say it this way. He said, you know, when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and had victory over Satan, that it was like D-Day in World War II. After D-Day happened, we knew that basically the war was over. We basically knew that the Germans were defeated. We basically knew that they were just trying to, you know, run away or trying to do whatever they want to do, but, but the, they were going to surrender. The hard part was done. It was finished. But it took some time before we had V-Day, which is Victory Day, as Sinclair Ferguson likes to say, where we got to clean up everything, where the truce or the treaty was signed, where, I guess, nation building began afterwards. You see, for us, for these people waiting on the other side of the Jordan, God's not saying to them, go and defeat them. I'll take care of that, is what God is saying. Don't worry about the military aspect of things. I will go and defeat them. In your life in Christ Jesus, D-Day has happened once you believe in him. You are not fighting over whether God will approve of you. You are not fighting for, for his favor. You're not trying to figure out a way of, will God ever forgive me for my sins and what I have done? 
you know, in the Korean and Asian American community, it still saddens me when I still hear people that I run into and they'll say to me things like, I used to go to church, but I like drinking too much. I look at our church, I go, our church likes drinking too much too. <laughs> I like drinking too much. I like smoking. There's no way I can go to church. There's no way Jesus would ever love someone like me. I still remember this one conversation with this. I was, I was, I was preaching at a, um, a, a friend of ours whose um, mother had passed away about five years ago, and they just wanted a memorial service. So I went to their home to, to give good words and to encourage them. And, and one of the sons had a beer in his hand, and he goes, you know, listen, when I was 16 years old, I gave my life to Christ, and I guess once saved, always saved, right? And he had that beer in his hand, and, and he was like, but I guess not. He just took a swig of beer. And it wasn't appropriate at that time to say anything, but my heart broke for him. Why? Let me tell you, those people who are waiting to take the land, they didn't merit anything. They were God's people because God chose them. And God was going to give them that land, whether they were ready or not. And we'll see that as we read through Deuteronomy. God gave you salvation. Not by your own merit. Not by the fact that you are a better person. But God saved you in your sin and with your sin. Remember the, the picture I, I love, to, love to say is, you know, Martin, you know, um, um, Martin Luther likes to say, you know, that... that um, that God forgives us unconditionally and the only thing that we bring to the Lord is our sin which he freely forgives of us, right? But to me, I think the picture is, 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 is harsher than that. The picture is that when God wakes us up to our sin, we come to God with our sin and we say to God, God, I can't let go of it. I can't let go of it. But thank you for showing me that I can't let go of it. Help me and take it away from me. God has already done the hard work of forgiving you. God has already done the hard work of opening your eyes. God has already done the hard work of forgiving you. D-Day has happened. And so don't live trying to please God to grant his favor for salvation. Don't think that you need to bring gifts to God in order to see him. You know, growing up in Asian culture, they always tell you, right, when you go to someone's house, you never go with an empty hand. That's the worst thing you can do. You visit someone, you, you don't just show up. You have to bring, I mean, you guys come over to my house, you always got, if you go to a Korean person's house, you bring Korean, you bring fruit, you bring fruit right? You always bring fruit. Your parents will say, bring fruit. 
Believe me, when you guys, some of you guys are single, you get married and you visit your, your future in-laws for the first time, you bring a guest. You don't go empty-handed. You just don't. But can you believe this, that you get to go to God not simply empty-handed, but with your hands still soiled with sin, and God always welcomes you in. That's how great his grace is. That's, that's D-Day. Don't fight that battle of whether I can see God. Don't fight that battle. That is not your battle. He's won that for you. But your battle is what? Look at verse 16 and 17. And I charge your judges at that time. So these commanders are judges, basically. They're moral judges. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Well, what was the role of these people? It was to teach people the law of God to fear him and to love him. What God was concerned about was not the fact that can these people earn, get salvation. God's going to give you salvation. What God wants from us is once he's given you that salvation, is to bask in that love that he's given you and to share that love with one another. Because the second thing that happens in this, in this judgment, he says, listen, when you who are judge, that I've, these judges I appointed, you need to fear God. You are not to fear man or one another. You are not to fear someone because they are rich and they are poor. You are to do justly before God. And the point was to do what? Was to show amongst God's people God's grace, God's love, God's presence. For we must remember, and you know, it's really hard, it's really hard to preach on one passage when everything connects so much. But uh, we, we have to remember when when God gives us His law, the law is not separated from His personality, right? The law is His revelation of who He is. It's 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 His character. It's His being. We will never know God fully. But what God does reveal to us, he reveals to us through his law. Just like I like to say, you know, myself, I don't have laws, but I have preferences. So this is an analogy. I prefer when I'm really exhausted and tired, leave me alone. (laughs) There are other people among you, I know who you are. When you're tired and exhausted, you're like, hey, who should I call call to have over for dinner? (laughs) As you guys marry each other, oh, it's, it's tough, right? But, but for, for, you know, but for, for, for me, it's, it's what? It's leave me alone. I, I need to recharge. That's my law. If you know me and you love me, okay? Now, this all falls apart because it's, it's a selfish thing. It's, there's a lot of things, but this all falls apart. But you're trying to understand. But God, who is perfect, immutable, just his laws reflect his perfect character his perfect being 
And so when we get to the laws of God, he, and he says, you know, do not steal, do not murder, do not covet. These aren't just laws separated, but made up by human beings. This is God's character. This is who he is. And so what we're doing here, what, what the judges want from you, from the people who are crossing over, is for you to fall in love with the character of God as you follow him. If you separate the law from the character of God, that's, that's what we call legalism. And even for us as Christians, when we encourage one another here in this body of Christ, when we rebuke each other, we don't rebuke each other simply to say, you broke a law, therefore you need to repent and separate that from the person of Christ. We say, dear brother, you... you you, you broke a law. You, you broke God's heart. You defamed his character. But, but the war is won. Come to Jesus. For the purpose of the law is to know his character and then to know that the forgiveness and love is found in Christ. In Christ alone. So which war are you fighting? If you're fighting a war of whether God will see me, that I can actually come to him and he'll open the door. If you're fighting a war that I need to bring some gift to him so he'll see me, you're fighting the wrong war. God has forgiven you. We're just fighting skirmishes until the Lord comes back. We're waiting for the Lord's return for V-Day. Our duty, like the duty of these people who are ready to take the promised land, is to increase the presence of God amongst us by letting his character shine through as we obey him and follow him. That his presence would so imbibe us that we would trust him wherever battle comes our way. For we know that the war is won. So brothers and sisters, love one another. Brothers and sisters, when we appoint leaders amongst us, pray for them that they would make sound judgments. For a church, for God's people, must always remain pure to follow God as we continue to repent and trust in Him. The war is won. one. Rejoice in what he has done. Let's pray.